Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word now, Lord, we thank you that you are the lover of our souls. And Lord, that there's nothing in this life that can be thrown at us that we can't handle knowing that you are with us, the lover of our souls. And as we consider this chapter here tonight, Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would reveal to us that truth, that we are more than conquerors through you who love us. I pray, Lord, that you would overlook mine inadequacies as a teacher and that, Lord, you would speak tonight by your spirit, that you would minister to hearts as we gather here in the middle of this week, Lord, in need of encouragement, in need of exhortation, in need of just hearing from you. We give you this time now in Jesus name. Amen. What are the chances, what are the odds of a tall, lanky, young, Bible-toting hillbilly winning the presidential election? Well, in 1861, it happened. When Abraham Lincoln was elected as the president of the United States of America. What are the odds of the, uh, the chances of a movie based on a real-life Olympic runner who was a Christian and who chose not to run on the Sabbath in 1932 in the Olympic Games? What are the odds of that movie based upon that theme winning picture of the year? Well, it happened in 1981. The movie Chariots of Fire. What are the chances and what are the odds of a military mindset, a conservative coup coming against the largest communist country in the world? And within 72 hours, the leadership is turned and it begins to go in a democratic direction. What are the chances in such a short time of that happening? Well, it happened in the former Soviet Union in 1991. And what are the chances and what are the odds of a small shepherd boy armed only with a sling and some rocks conquering and killing a giant of a man? A man who had been a mighty warrior, the champion of his people for longer than that shepherd boy has even been alive. Well, the odds are very, very good if that shepherd boy has the living God, the creator of heaven and earth on his side. That's what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, probably one of the most best known stories in, in, in all of the world today. It's a story that often gets used in sports analogies, talking about the underdog like the Detroit Pistons taking down the mighty Los Angeles Lakers like we saw happen in this past year's uh, NBA championships. It's a story that often gets talked about in business meetings. David taking down Goliath, the little company coming up and rising up and, and overtaking the big, huge company. And if it was just a story, it would still be an incredible tale. 
But the fact that this is a true event, something that really happened, makes it even more special. And it provides a great lesson for all of us here tonight who know the Lord. All of us here who are children of God. All of us here who are soldiers in our Lord's army that it's possible to overcome the giants in our lives. We pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah. Underline that phrase. And they encamped between Socho and Azekah in Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Here we see the scene. There's two armies camped on two hills and a valley in between. On one hill is the army of Israel. On the other hill is public enemy number one, the Philistines. And the Philistines are coming off, if you recall, several chapters back we saw where the the Israelites, they had defeated the Philistines. And so here we see the Philistines have gathered together for revenge. Now, as I had you note there in verse one, this was a territory that belonged to Israel. And that's important that we realize this. This is a a part of land here that had been promised to Father Abraham. And it's a part of the land that God had told Joshua to go in and to possess. But here we see that at this time in Israel's history, that it's a part of territory that the enemy occupied. And so there's the scene, two armies, one on one hill, one on the other, this valley in between. We pick it up in verse four. And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. And now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. And then he stood and he cried out, to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here we see the challenge. Goliath, that giant of a man, his name, it means heap or obstacle. And that's what he was. He was this giant of a man. Now, I had one of the guys today pull up a picture of Yao Ming. Can you guys put that up? This is Yao Ming. Okay, he's seven foot five, and that's a you know little junior high kid standing there with him. And you see the difference there. Now picture this: Goliath, this heap of a man, was nine feet six. Yao Ming, seven foot five. 
Goliath nine feet six. David, being a young teenager of the age of between 13 or 15, was probably about four foot ten at this time, maybe five feet. And here he is coming out against this giant of a man. Thanks, you guys, for that. His armor, this coat of mail that he wore, it weighed 175 to 200 pounds. That's what he was walking around in. That's what he was carrying around, this armor, this, this plated bronze thing that he wore that, that weighed 200, close to 200 pounds. He was armed with a javelin. Later on, we'll see that he also carried a sword. And then he had a spear. The, the, the head of his spear weighed 25 pounds. This was a massive man. This was a huge guy. And this is what stood in the way of Israel obtaining the land that God had promised to them. And so every day the giant came down into the valley and issued this challenge. Send me a man. And you send out your best. And if I fight him and he defeats me, then we'll be your servants. But if I fight him and defeat him, then you'll be our servants. And this was a common thing that they did in those days in battle. It was a way of sparing an entire army that sometimes they would just have the champions go out and fight. And verse 16 tells us that he issued this challenge every day for 40 days, morning and evening. We're talking 80 times. 80 times in the midst of that 40 days, here comes Goliath with his coat of mail and his big spear and his big voice and his big presence. What's the lesson in this? Giants don't go away. They don't go away. We can sit there and the the army of Israel, they could have pretended like he wasn't there. They could have ignored him. But the fact of the matter was this guy wasn't going anyplace. He wasn't going away. Now, notice the response we see there in verse 11 to his challenge. It says that, that Saul and the army of Israel, they were dismayed. The word dismayed means terror, alarmed, panic, dread and paranoia. That's what it speaks of. And that's the state that they were in because of this challenge of Goliath. They were in a state of terror, a state of panic, a state of dread. And and it was coming to the place after 40 straight days, morning and evening of this, of paranoia. Like, what are we going to do? I'm sure in the middle of the night, perhaps they, they would hear his voice, you know, while they were sleeping. They're in their dreams that the paranoia is setting in. And it also says that they were greatly afraid. The connotation is this. They were paralyzed by fear. They were paralyzed by their fear. Now, what about you? What about me? What about the giants that can be in our lives? Those huge obstacles that stand between you and what the Lord has promised you. Those huge obstacles that stand between you and what God has for you that leave you dismayed and paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed, unable to to walk in faith, unable to go forward, unable to lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has bought for you. That which he has laid claim for you. And there you find yourself in that place of not moving forward and not going anywhere. 
paralyzed, crippled, dismayed by fear. Well, let's see what we can learn from David about overcoming the giants in our lives. If you're taking notes, there's six things that I'd like you to jot down that we see here in David's life that can really be a testimony to us to how to be how to be victorious, how to move forward, how to deal with these obstacles, these heaps, these giants that so much want to cripple us. If you're taking notes, first of all, number one, we want to note that David was faithful in the moment. He was faithful in the moment. We pick it up in verse 12. Now, David was the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now you recall back in chapter 16 in our study last time that David became Saul's armor bearer. Saul started to have after the spirit of God had departed from him and an evil spirit came and was distressing him. His his servants came up with a grand idea. Hey, let's get somebody to who can come and and be who's a skilled musician who can come and play, you know, the harp. When this distressing spirit comes and some, one of the guys happened to know about David. And so David came and we read there in verse 21 where it says that David became Saul's armor bearer. He became one of his closest servants during this time. But during that time of serving Saul, and we're not sure, you know, what the gap was in time between verse 21 of 16 and here we and where we're at in in chapter 17. But it, it seems that some time has passed here. And David, it says, would occasionally get a little break from Saul and he would go back home to see how his dad was doing and to take care of his father's sheep. Verse 16, and the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out and the fight or going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Let's pause there. Here we see David. Now, remember, he's already been anointed by Samuel, although I think it's safe to say he didn't exactly know what that anointing meant. It doesn't tell us that there was any implication that Samuel told David and his brothers why he was being anointed. But he's already been anointed. 
The presence of God, the Spirit of God has already come upon him. But here we see David still tending his father's sheep. Now, you recall in our study last week, this was the lowest job for the lowest of the servants. The lowest job for the lowest of the servants. And this is where we find David in this place. Tending the sheep. You know, sometimes people have a tendency when it comes to certain things in their lives to get this kind of a thought process or mentality going in their their head as it relates to something that maybe they've been asked to do that they feel this. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I don't want to do that because, you know, that's beneath me. That wasn't David. That wasn't his heart at all. You know, I heard somebody say this once, your job doesn't define you. So often we have a tendency to think in that way that, you know, our job, it defines us. Your job doesn't define you, but you define your job. I know, for instance, of a man who's a pastor. Now, he doesn't have a church right now that he's pastoring. The Lord doesn't have him in that role and in that place. Actually, what the Lord has him doing right now in his life, he's a bus driver. He drives a bus. But you know what? That bus, that's his church. The people that get on it, that's his congregation. And he shares Jesus with them. And there in that place that he works in that particular bus depot, that also, that's his flock. As he's led many people, he teaches a Bible study there with, with his co-workers. And right now, God has him in a place where he isn't involved in full-time ministry. He's not pastoring a church, but he's still serving. He's still ministering. He's not sitting back and going, gosh, why am I in this place? Why am I driving this bus? You know, I'm better than that. No. What he's doing is the same thing we see David doing here. He's being faithful in the moment. David is faithfully serving in the moment. And because of that, he ends up in a position to do something great. Now, what if, though, what if David would have blew off this request of his father to bring this stuff to his brothers? What if he said to himself, you know, man, I'm not going to do that. You know, I know that's what my dad wants me to do, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to send Joe over here, our servant. And I'm going to tell him to go and take the the this food up to my brothers. What if he would have blew that off? Well, listen, David would have missed out on being at the right place at the right time when God was going to do something miraculous. When God was going to do something mighty, David would have missed it. But because David was faithful in the moment, he was faithful in the little things, it opened the door for him to experience and be at the right place at the right time when God was about to do a great thing. A lot of times I meet people who want to do something great for God. And they'll tell me that. Man, I want to do something great for God. And they're waiting for that something great to come along. They're waiting for Pastor Chuck to call him up one day and say, you know what? I, I, I need you to cover for me on Sunday. They're waiting, you know, for something like that, for Billy Graham to say, you know, can you preach at my crusade for me, you know, next month? They're waiting for something great 
to come along. But God is waiting for them to be faithful in the moment, to be faithful in the little thing, quote unquote, to be faithful in their family devotions, the time that they spend with their family, to be faithful in their fellowship, to maybe push a broom or to clean a window or to set up some chairs. To be faithful in, in, in maybe ministering like Helene has for years and years and years in our children's ministry. Ministering to that oh so precious and important next generation. The Davids of a couple of years from now. Being faithful in the moment to, to minister out in the park, where, wherever it is that God wants you to be. God says the one who is faithful with little will be exalted with much. David's a good example of that. He was faithful in the moment. And so the first key to overcoming giants is being faithful in the moment. Being faithful in your own personal devotional life. Being faithful to meet with God. To seek the Lord, to draw near to him, being faithful in service, being faithful in those things puts us in a place, in the right place to experience great things. Number two, we need to see the situation from God's perspective. We pick it up in verse 23. Then as he talked with them, speaking of David. There was the champion of the Philistine, of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches and will give his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. When David comes on the scene, he hears Goliath. He hears Goliath come out for, you know, the 41st day to issue his challenge. And when David comes on the scene, he hears Goliath. And his perception, though, is completely different from everyone else's. Everyone else was preoccupied with the greatness of Goliath. Everyone else was preoccupied with, look how big he is. Guy, that guy's enormous. Man, that guy's incredible. But because David was preoccupied with the greatness of God, he saw Goliath for what he was. What does he call him here? An uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God. David's attitude is like, how dare he do that? He's standing there. He's listening to Goliath go off. He's listening to Goliath trash talk. And David's like, you know, isn't anybody going to do anything? What's the deal here? And then when he hears about this reward that Saul's going to give, then he's really like, what's wrong with you guys? What's the deal here? He's like, you know, you got to be kidding. Saul's going to give, you know, riches and his daughter an exemption from taxes. It's like, you know, let me at this guy. 
That's David's mentality here. The rest of the army was focused on the enemy. And because of that, they were paralyzed from doing anything. The rest of the army was saying, man, Goliath, he's too big to hit. David's thinking, man, this guy's too big to miss, you know. He's an easy target. The you know the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, let's go. The rest of the army, though, was preoccupied by fear. And you know what? Because they were preoccupied by fear, they were paralyzed, or they were preoccupied with the enemy, so they were paralyzed by fear. And that's a description, a good description of a lot of Christians today. They're preoccupied with the enemy. They're so focused on the enemy. They're so focused on the spiritual warfare that's against them. They're so focused on the, the things, maybe the attack that's coming against them in their life that it just it paralyzes them. And they're failing to realize that Jesus has already won the war. As it's been said that we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. But because they're preoccupied on the enemy, they're paralyzed by fear. It's interesting that David wrote during this very time there in the book of Psalms, he wrote Psalm 19. I'll read it to you. The first part of it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. And there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Why could David see Goliath not as this giant heap of a man, but instead of, as a, a pipsqueak, if you would? Because David's eyes and heart were focused on a big God. A God who spoke the world into existence. A God who holds the world in the span of his hands. A God who keeps everything moving at just the right speed and, and keeping the earth at for the right distance from the sun. A God who is so great and so mighty and so powerful that the heavens, as David would be out there sitting in his, you know, out in the field with his sheep and looking up at all the stars and thinking, man, this is God's handiwork. This is God's beauty. This is God's painting. And just to think, he just spoke and it was because David was focused on the bigness of his God. He was able to see the enemy in the right frame of mind with the right perception. We pick it up in verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Notice how he's trying to kind of you know, diminish David's job. Those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart that for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So he was asking one more time. Now tell me one more time. What did Saul say he was going to give to the man who takes down this giant? Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. 
And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. Here's number three. Don't give in to discouragers. Don't give in to discouragers. Here we see David's own brother accusing him of being a glory seeker. I know why you're here, David. You've come down. You want to see the battle. You want to see what's going on. You, you want a, a piece of the glory. But David knew that this wasn't his motive. He knew that this wasn't his heart. But I want you to listen close here. You see, for someone else, Eliab's words could have been from the Lord. Because there's a lot of people who want to be in that place, in the place of greatness, in the place of, of, of being in the, the thick of things, being there on the edge, being, you know, in the limelight, if you would, which David is about to be in the center of attention. And they want to be in that place for one reason and one reason only because of their own pride. Because of how they want to be seen in the eyes of others. But that wasn't David's heart. For someone else, oh, Eliab's words could have been words from God. A wake-up call. And you're treading, you're, you're, you're heading out into dangerous territory here, son. But that wasn't David's heart at all. And then in the eyes of King Saul, the odds were insurmountable odds. Saul argues when he sees David, you are but a youth, and this guy, he's been a killing machine since his youth. He's been this incredible warrior since he was your age. Listen, the natural man, the man, in other words, who only sees with the natural eye, who doesn't see things with the spiritual eye, the natural man looks at things only in the physical. And in the physical, he sees only things in size and numbers and years of experience. But God isn't so much interested with any of those things. You see, there's a spiritual dimension to things. There's a spiritual dimension to things. And we would do well to remember that if God is in it, if God is behind it, we're destined for success. We'll see later here, David understands the battle. It's the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. And God is in the business of using that which the world deems as small and insignificant because when all is said and done, there's no doubt when, when that work is over that people look and they realize, hey, that was a work of God. That's what the story of Gideon is all about. That's why God whittles down his army of 30,000 to 300 to go against the mighty army that numbers like the sand on the seashore of the, the Midianites. Why? Because when it was all said and done, no one doubted this was a work of God. This was a miracle. This was a work that God did. And the people praised God for the victory. David wasn't going to let others discourage him in this moment of faith. 
And for those of you who are in that place where maybe that obstacle is before you or that challenge is before you and you need to take that step of faith and you've been doubting and you've been struggling and there's been the naysayers who have been saying to you, you know, hey, you're not ready for this or or you're not qualified or you're not whatever it might be. Don't be discouraged by the naysayers. The ones who would say, you know, you're not gifted enough for that. Because you see, if it's something that God is calling you to, that's all that matters. All God is looking for is your availability, not your ability, but your availability. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. We pick it up in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, now here's the key. Just so you know, just just to to make sure that David's not getting prideful here and saying, well, man, you know what? This guy's nothing because I took down a bear. That's heavy to think about. You know, he grabbed it by its beard, took it down. But just to make sure that David's not saying that, hey, it was me that did this, that I was so skillful, that I was too quick, you know, that that I would have won the wrestling match in the Olympics. No, no, no. Verse 37 is key. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Number four, rely upon the Lord's past faithfulness in your life. Verse 37 is the key because it shows that David's confidence wasn't in his flesh. It wasn't in his own ability, but it was in the Lord. Notice again, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul couldn't argue with that kind of faith. He didn't know what to say. All he could say was, go and may the Lord be with you. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. David had a history of faith, believing God to help him in protecting his sheep against the lion and the bear. He had a history of faith. He could look back and he could say, hey, God was faithful to me in that situation. He had a history of faith, but he also wanted to have a present faith. He had a history of faith that he could look back and say, hey, God did this in my life back here at this point. But he wanted to be able to say, and God's going to do this in my life at this point in this moment. It's important that we have not only a history of faith, that we can point back and say, hey, God did this in my life two years ago, or God did this in my life three years ago, or God did this in my life 10 years ago, but that we also can have a present faith where we can say, God is doing this in my life right now. Right now. This is what he's showing me. This is what he's teaching me. This is how he's working in our lives. And our past victories in the Lord are not meant for us to lean back on our laurels and think that we have done something for God. 
But in reality, they are there for us, not just to look back on in faith, believing that that God comes through, but it's also to push us forward in faith, believing that God still comes through, that he can and will use our lives as we make them available to him. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second. What if I don't have any lion or bear victories in my past? I don't have that. My life's been kind of simple. I don't have any great story of taking down a lion or taking down a bear or or, or something like that. Listen. These stories of David and Gideon and Joshua and Peter and Paul, and we could go on and on and on. Read through Hebrews chapter 11. These stories that are placed here in the Bible of God's faithfulness in the lives of these men and women are testimonies to us because the Bible tells us this, that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God who was working at, in David's life 4,000 years ago in the Valley of Elah wants to work in your life today. Wants to work in your situation today. Wants to work in enabling you to overcome those giants in your life. And not only that, not only the patriarchs of old that we can look back to as testimonies to us of God's faithfulness, but also we can look back even shorter to Calvary, the cross. Because Paul said these words in Romans chapter 8 that we are now more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Because of what Jesus did on Calvary for us. The victory has been won. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. David had a history in the Lord that he wanted to continue. We pick it up. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put on a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. Here's number five, because David's confidence was in the Lord. He wasn't going to go out in somebody else's armor. Don't go out in someone else's armor. What does that mean for you and I? It means that in our walk with the Lord, in our overcoming giants, in our walk of faith, in our overcoming the challenges that come in our way, there isn't a formula to follow. There's not a seven-step plan. It's not, you know, okay, well, hey, this is how it worked for Pastor Howard, so this is how it's going to work for me. Or this is how it worked for Pastor Phil, so this is how it's going to work for me. No, there, there isn't a formula. Later on, we'll see in 2 Samuel. That David's at a place where now he's he's king and he's in this conflict with the Philistines. And three of his men go and David kind of just utters these words. He just kind of mumbles, you know, to the group of guys there. Man, I'm really thirsty. But there was no water. 
But the Philistines were there in Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem there was a well. And we read there that these these guys, these three guys that are part of David's mighty men, they go rushing out, and they somehow break through the garrison of the Philistine. They get some water, they bring it back to David. But here's what's interesting. It doesn't tell us how they broke through. It doesn't say that they did this and they followed these steps and they did this type of thing. Why is that? Because God doesn't want us as his people living on formulas. He doesn't want us living on formulas. He wants us living a life of being completely submitted to him and being completely dependent upon him. So that he will lead us in our situation when we need to break through one step at a time. That's where he wants us. And that's how he wants us. And so when when we try to put a formula on ourselves or take up a formula, hey, this is how it's going to work. This is what I'm going to do. We're putting on somebody else's armor. I met with a guy once, a pastor. And we were talking, and he was actually interviewing for a position that we had at our church a few years ago. And as I was sharing with him concerning what we were you know, doing and kind of the direction that we were heading in and some of the obstacles you know, that we were facing, he kept interrupting and saying, well, well, well this is what we did at our church. And this is what we did at our church. And this is what we did and, and like 10 times. And I finally just, in my mind, I just went, you know, I don't care what you did at your church. This isn't that church. This isn't that place. This isn't, and, and the, two, the two churches that he were comparing, they, they were diametrically just different, radically different. Different in size, different in budget, different in in demographics, different in population of the air. I mean, just everything. And right away, I was like, you know what? This guy, is he would not work at all because he's locked into a formula. And what we were looking for was somebody who was going to be like, you know what? Man, I want to seek God for his plan, for his heart, for his way. God wants us to be those trusting in him. Doesn't mean we can't learn from others. That doesn't mean that we can't look at things in the Bible and say, "Okay, you know, I can glean from this. But it doesn't mean either that that it's going to work out exactly that way in your life. As it worked in somebody else's. And I could go through this congregation, story after story after story of people who were facing similar obstacles similar difficulties and how God worked in their situation in a different way. Because God's not into formulas. He's not into formulas. We pick it up in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Now, a lot of commentators believe that he chose these five stones because Goliath had five brothers and, or four brothers. And so he was picking one stone for Goliath and four for Goliath's brothers. David was definitely a man of faith. And he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. 
and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. And so the Philistines came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And so the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Go, David. (laughs) I love this. You come to me with a sword and a spear but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel and today He's going to deliver you into My hands. And not only that, but I'm going to take your flesh and the flesh of all your friends and we're going to give them to the birds. This guy's like gnarly, you know? He's like, come on. Goliath all in his armor, his 25-pound spearhead, his 200-pound coat of mail, David with his sling and, and his rocks. And he comes out. And this is point number six, that we are to move forward in the confidence that the Lord is with us. And that's what we see David doing here. He moves forward in the confidence that God is with him, that the battle belongs to the Lord. And whatever that situation is that you find yourself in, listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's God's battle. It's God's battle. It's his situation. You can get all worked up, you can get all stressed out, or you can realize, hey, it's God's. The battle belongs to the Lord. Now, I want to note just a couple of things and we're going to be done here. The results of David's faith. The first we see in verse 48. It says, So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried, underline this, and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Note that. Because of his confidence in the Lord. What's David doing? He's running, not from Goliath, but he's running at Goliath. He's running at him. And I I pray tonight that that would be all of our hearts here toward whatever it is in front of us that we would, in that confidence, that faith in the Lord, that we would run towards that. Because here's the fact of the matter. Here's the fact of the matter. As a Christian... As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, you are going to come to different doors in your life. And each one of those doors is a passageway into a new season, into a new step of faith, into a new trial, into a new 
place to grow in your walk in relationship with the Lord. And you have a choice with every single one of those doorways. You can run through it or you can run from it. Those are the only two options. You can't try to go around it. You can't try to go under it. You can either run through it or you can run away from it. But know this, because God is committed to this very thing in your life. Romans 8, 29. His goal, one of the reasons why you are still on this planet, His goal for you is to conform you into the image of His own dear Son. So know this, if you run from that door, you run away from it. Hey, I don't want to deal with this right now. So you run away from it. I don't want to deal with this problem. I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want to deal with that. So you run away from it. I don't want to ha- I just can't handle this responsibility. You run away from it. God in his love for you is going to bring you full circle. God in his love for you is going to bring you full circle. It might be a month later. It might be a year later. It might be two years later, but he's going to bring you full circle. He's going to bring you back. It may not necessarily be that exact same giant in that exact same valley, but there will be a valley and there will be a giant. Because you see, in David's life and the life of Israel, this was the next step. This was the God-ordained next step in his life that was all part of the training process for who God was making him. It was all part of the training process for what God was seeking to do in the life of the nation of Israel as he was going to raise up this young man to be a king who was a man after their own heart or after his own heart. And know that is true. You can run from it. You can ignore it. Or you can run through it. But if you run from it, God, because he loves you, because he's committed to train you and to mold you, and he wants to work in that heart, you are going to come full circle once again to that thing, to that giant, to that obstacle. It's not going to go away. Now, if Israel were to run from the giant, from the valley, here's what it would have meant. The Philistines would have gained more ground in Israel. And that is the, the, the sad byproduct of when we run from those doors is it gives the enemy the opportunity to gain more ground in our lives. We give up territory. It's a moving doorway. But when our confidence is in the Lord, when we believe what the Bible says, and people, can I encourage you to be a people who believe in what the Bible says? You know, I have friends in our fellowship whose lives have been greatly touched by the Promise Keeper ministry. And I'm thankful for that. But you know what? I think what the Lord desires more so for us as believers is not that we would be promise keepers, but that we would be promise believers. Believers who believe in the promises of God. That are believing in that that 
We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That believe that that our God, that he declares, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage me? Let's be promise believers. Because David believed that God was with him, he ran towards the enemy. Verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw it, that their champion was dead, they fled. Here's the second result. The enemy, they flee. And so too in the spiritual realm, when the enemies of our Lord, when our enemy, when our adversary sees us standing in faith, moving forward in the power of God, when the enemy sees that, that, that we realize and we're standing not in the power of our strength, but that we're more than conquerors through, through him who loves us, the enemy flees. The enemy realizes, man, you know, we're not going to win this victory today. Let's go bug somebody else. The enemy flees. And then finally, verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Sheram, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the children of Israel returned from the, the Philistines or from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David, I love this guy, took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. It's like, here's my trophy, man. Carrying Goliath, you know, by the hair, I guess. He brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, has your soul lives, O king? I don't know. And so the king said, inquire, whose son is this young man? And then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He's still carrying it. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And so David answered and said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, when he had finished chapter 18, speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. We're going to come back to that, but I wanted to include that because here's the third thing that we see. The third result is God's people are encouraged. Because of David's faith, the army of Israel rise up and they go out a conquering the Philistines. And this is always the case. When one of God's people overcomes his giant through his faith in the Lord, listen, that faith is contagious. That faith is contagious. Now, one more thing before we leave. This picture of David and Goliath, 
David going out against Goliath in the valley of Elah, conquering the Philistine who was keeping Israel from obtaining the promises of God is really a beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan in that picture of being Goliath, standing in the way of mankind being able to really lay hold of that which God would have him to lay hold of. But Jesus going out. One man against one man. And there on the cross, rendering a death blow to the enemy so that you and I could experience and partake of all that God has for us. And that we could walk in this life and face our giants as more than conquerors because Jesus Christ is in us. Glory be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that this isn't just a fable. It's not a fairy tale. But it's a true story of a true young man and a real God who came alongside of him and met him. And Lord, we know that this story stands as an encouragement, as an example to us this very night of what you can do in our lives. As we would surrender and yield our hearts to you to be a David. And Lord, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters here who are struggling with various giants, obstacles that are hindering them from really partaking of all that you have promised them. Lord, I pray tonight would be a night for them of victory. To stand strong, to move forward in the power that belongs to them because of Jesus in their hearts and in their lives. May we be, Lord, this night, this week, the remainder of this year, promised believers. In Jesus' name, amen.